0: Welcome to the Success in Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Samir Desai. Are you thinking about going to medical school outside the U.S.? Going abroad to medical school is a path that many students take, but what are the pros and cons to doing that? And if you do choose this route, how can you put yourself in position to do well in medical school? And of course, match successfully. To help us answer these questions, I'm pleased today to have Dr. Mark Katz on the show as my guest. Mark is a graduate of the Ross University School of Medicine. After completing his internal medicine residency, Mark matched into cardiology. He is currently a cardiology fellow at St. Luke's University Hospital. Mark has been writing about his journey in medicine for years. What initially drew me to his website and his posts were how open he was about his experiences. Mark has a wonderful way of bringing you into his life, and we learn so much from his candor and his insight. But Mark is not just informative, he is very entertaining. He's put out some great videos on TikTok that have had me laughing out loud. So today on the Success in Medicine podcast, it's my pleasure to have our guest Mark Katz on the show with us. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing great, thank you for having me. We're thrilled to have you, Mark, and I thought that it would be great if we could start by having you give us a bit of your background. Uh
1: sure, I am a second-year cardiology fellow. I'm planning on pursuing non-invasive cardiology. I was part of the last graduating class at uh, Hahnemann University Hospital Drexel Internal Medicine Residency Program, and before then, I attended Ross University uh, School of Medicine in the Caribbean. And, uh, I apologize in advance if you hear some meowing. That's just my cat. For whatever reason, once I, uh, start actually doing some work, she decides that that's when she wants to play. So I apologize for any meows in advance. And that, I promise it's not
0: me. It's no problem at all. What's your, what's your cat's name? Uh, Pepper for
1: short, but, uh, when she's being naughty, she goes by Pepperoni.
0: <laughs> okay, so if Pepper, uh, adds a bit to this, we would be very eager to, to hear Pepper's perspectives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so Mark, let me start by talking about something that uh, is on the mind of a lot of med school aspirants here. So we know a lot of folks have options for going to medical school, and for some, they're really thinking about going to medical school abroad, Mm -hmm. and that's not an easy decision to make. And I want to start by asking you about any advice that you would have for students who are thinking about going to med school outside the U.S.? I
1: think that's a great question and probably one of the most frequent that I get on various social media um messages. And, you know, clearly that's what the route that I pursued. And I think that's perfectly okay to do that. Clearly, there are tons of successful physicians, myself included, that have been able to match into residency programs and fellowships and go on to have successful careers. But I, I think one of the biggest issues that I have uh, with the communication about getting into med school is that even when I was a, when I was a pre-med student, I didn't realize that getting into med school isn't the end of the battle. It's, it's really getting into residency position because I, I think more than ever there's a huge shortage of residency positions and getting into med school and not getting a residency position, you know, you're a doctor in name, but not in training. So really the end game is getting a successful match into a residency program. And I'm, again, I'm, I would never discourage someone from attending a Caribbean med school or, or a med school abroad unless they need, uh, informed decision making and informed consent really about that decision. And the simple truth is, you know, you can look at the data, the NRMP data is released every year. And the simple truth is that it is more difficult to match into residency programs as an international or foreign medical grad. You know, that's the, Plain fact, you know, I went to Hahnemann University uh, Hospital in in uh, Philly for internal medicine. Loved the program, but the other three major hospitals, Temple, Jeff, and Penn, you know, I didn't even hear back from them. You know, nowadays I think Temple is very friendly to IMGs, but there are some programs like Penn, or or, or not not to you know throw Penn onto the bus, but there's some top tier programs in certain specialties that simply won't look at you because you went to a Caribbean med school, you know, similarly to how I applied to Penn for fellowship, because I figured, you know, maybe a certain program has never taken an international medical grad in their fellowship, but I could be the first, someone else can be the first. So I would never want to discourage someone, but you have to know the the honest truth that it's difficult to match into a residency program. It's more difficult to get into competitive specialties And you're simply making a tough battle, an even more inclined hill to run up by going to a Caribbean med school. Again, people can do it. People do it successfully. But you need to know that it shouldn't be your plan A. I went because I was a junior when I kind of woke up and smelled the coffee and realized, huh, you really got to do better in school in order to get into med school. And I finally did better junior and senior year. And I just knew that I wanted to be a doctor. Finally, it kind of hit me. And I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to do a post-bac program and kind of waste my, not waste my time, but I didn't want to waste any more time in not going into med school. And, and I got into Ross and I applied to DO programs as well, but I felt like it was okay for me to pursue a Caribbean med school and everything did work out for me. So I think it's it's challenging to go to a Caribbean med school. It shouldn't be your first option, but it is a viable one. You just have to know the risks that are associated with it.
0: So Mark, I wonder if I can take you back then to when you were a junior or senior in college and you were thinking about going to Ross. So at the time, what due diligence did you do in terms of investigating Ross or some of the other options uh, that Mm -hmm. you were considering and what ultimately led you to say, okay, Ross is where I want to be? Yeah. You
1: know, thankfully,
0: for better or worse, Ross
1: and St. George's University, which in my mind are kind of Two of the biggest programs in the Caribbean, along with AUA, AUC, American University of Antigua, American University of the Caribbean. There are other programs that I've met a ton of people in my training uh, and attendings who have gone to other programs and are brilliant individuals. So so just because you go to a Caribbean med school or just because you go to an Ivy League med school doesn't make you better or worse. You know, I've met great doctors and great residence fellows and also conversely lazy people from every school, you know. Um So just going to one of those schools doesn't make you better or worse. And the simple truth is that the reason I went to Ross was that I got in. <laughs> uh, I applied to, I think, 26 or 27 med schools and only got into Ross. Uh, I think St. George's gave me the option to like do an extra semester to prove that I had the chops. And I just said, you know what? Ross said, yes, I'll go there. And the reason that I kind of narrowed it down to to Ross and St. George's at the time was simply that those were the only two big ones that I was really familiar with through uh some pre-med clubs that I was on campus with. And at the time, I didn't even think about match rates. I, I wasn't familiar with it. I was more concerned about getting into med school altogether. So I would just encourage people to not just look at their statistics that they will boast about, like their step one or step two pass rates. It's really about their match rates that you need to be looking into. So the due diligence I did was that I was thankful that I had a great Green Ed club on campus and a community of people that I kind of worked with. And those were the two schools that kind of reached out in my mind that were the best. There are other good ones, but those were the ones that I kind of pursued and
0: thankfully got into one of them. That's such an important point that you made about taking a look at Match rates and, you know, where people are matching successfully. That's really vital information that I think any student who is considering going to medical school abroad really needs to factor heavily into their decision making. I would also say that a step, obviously, that's important in order to match is to become ECFMG certified. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I would add, you know, for our, our listeners is that There is a requirement that's coming up in 2024 and that is that the medical school that you may attend would really have to be accredited by an agency that is accepted by the World Federation for Medical Education, Mm -hmm. also known as WFME. And uh, if you go to the ECFMG website, it'll be very clear that in order to be eligible for ECFMG certification that you'll have to be at a school or graduating from a school in 2024 or after that's been accredited by an agency uh, approved by that organization. That's something that I'm getting a lot of inquiries about, and I just wanted to share that with people because, of course, as you said, Mark, in order to match successfully, there's a lot that goes into it, but I would hate for people to go to a medical school that wasn't accredited and come to find that, you know, in 2024 or beyond. Yes, yeah, certainly. For better or worse, I've been out of the med school admissions process for a while, so that that's probably one of the more important aspects that I would encourage people to look into. So I want to talk a little bit about something else you mentioned about, you know, investigating the medical school and talked about doing your due diligence. And one thing that you've written about on your website is you write about how specialty choice should be a consideration if you're thinking about going to a Caribbean medical school. So tell us a bit more about how students should factor specialty choice into their decision making. You know,
1: looking back at that article, I think the, the crux of my argument is that it is specialties like urology, neurosurgery, general surgery, cardiothoracic surgery. There are certain specialties that are more difficult to match into, whether you're a Caribbean student or at an Ivy League MD program or the best deal program in the country. Limited spots, things like vascular surgery. There's only so many spots and there are a lot of applicants. So. When you go to a Caribbean med school, again, you start limiting your options because there are some programs that, that simply won't look at you sometimes. And, you know, looking back at that advice, I kind of laughed to myself because I thought that I wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. And then I went into the OR for the first day and I was like, nope, not for me. So I, I think it's important for med students to consider what they potentially want to go into. They need to go into med school with an open mind and really experience what those specialties are really like. With the understanding that if you, you know, a hundred percent know that you want to be a surgeon or you a hundred percent want to go be a vascular surgeon, I might recommend that you not do what I did, which was jump at Ross University. And maybe you should do a postbac program, try to get some more research under your belt, try to get into a U.S. stateside med school that, you know, when you go through med school, don't be too close minded and try to figure out what specialty is right for you. That's a huge very difficult question to answer for, and it's different for every individual. But if you're gung ho and you know, you're, you're meant to be one of these uh, individuals who go into a very competitive specialty, you have to be aware that you're making a very difficult option and narrowing it even more by going to a
0: Caribbean med school. One of the things that I really like about your website and the videos that you've done is that you're really open about what you've gone through, both your personal and professional experiences. What do you think are some of the key steps that you took during medical school and residency that have really put you in a position to succeed in your career? You
1: know, I'll admit I was a little bit of a lazy clinical med student. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, you know, first and foremost, I think you need to do well on your step exams. Um, you know, I think with the step, we can get into this later, but step one is now going to pass fail. I think step two is going to be even more important now for better or worse, even though it's not really a valuable way to compare med students. Program directors continue to use those test scores as ways to weed out people. So you really need to crush your step exams. And overall, I think when it comes to studying and treating your patients, you just have to remember and try to learn this as early as you can. I wish I learned this in pre-med or in undergrad, is that everything you learn from the beginning of med school is somewhat clinically relevant. Sure, I don't need to know the trinucleotide repeat for Huntington's disease, which I still don't know why I need to know that. (laughs) But, you know, everything from day one is on the test in med school on step one and step two. And in order to really set yourself up for professional success, you need to crush those tests. But more importantly, you know, it's, it's all about lifelong learning. You know, even as a fellow, never being, it's all about just having a good mindset of being present, you know, sometimes putting your phone away and taking in the information that you can and learning from the experts that you're working with and showing interest. You know, it's that delicate balance of asking questions because you want to learn and not just because you want to ask a question to like, look like you're, you want to be there and just trying to make the most of every experience and trying to learn as much as you can every day. And just admitting like, you're never going to know everything in medicine. (laughs) That's straight up impossible. But I, I think the most valuable lessons I've learned are from the attendings who show me how to think about a problem so that, maybe i'll never experience this specific type of patient again but i've at least gleaned a new mindset and a new train of thought and a new thought process on how to approach a patient or how to try to diagnose someone and there's all you know even if it's a joke from a patient or meaningful experience or or there's always something to learn from from every clinical experience and the sooner that you just humbly try to learn something from anyone, whether it's the, a tech, nurse, physical therapist, PA, anyone, the sooner you'll be able to really enjoy what you do and be better at it, be better at whatever specialty you're going into.
0: Such great advice. And I want to talk a little bit about succeeding academically in medical school, because that's something, you know, once student gets in, your focus starts to shift to that. You know, how how do I do well in medical school? And I know you've spoken about this to students in the past. So I'm really eager to hear about, you know, some of the key points you like to get across to students. You know,
1: this is something, again, I wish I knew this, As an undergrad, because in undergrad, what I used to do is learn it for the test, regurgitate it out, and then kind of move on and eliminate it from my mind. And it wasn't until I took biochem, uh, my senior year of undergrad that I realized like, shoot, I'm going to have to take this again in med school. Like I should just actually learn it. And it wasn't really until I took my first exam two weeks into med school that I realized like I don't know how to study. And the ultimate thing that I've learned is you got to figure out how to Remember stuff long term. And what I've tried to do my best with, whatever stage I'm in, is, you know, for a test, you might be able to memorize a few special numbers or a few random facts. But if you can at least understand the concept, it helps you out leaps and bounds. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're an undergrad, you know, and you're taking chem, chem 2, orgo, physics, bio, all these courses, just keep in mind that you're not just learning it for the course you're taking right now. But you're also going to be applying those same facts on the MCAT. So maybe you don't need to memorize every single little thing for forever. But if if you can understand the overall concepts, the next time you go back and look at that information, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you. And that same philosophy applies to med school. When you're learning all that information, you need to learn it for each semester. But then you need to reapply it for step one, step two, and eventually be able to pull that information out and apply it clinically. So I think that the most important aspect is trying to figure out how you learn and not just kind of doing what I used to do in undergrad, which was kind of read and then just take notes and then read, but really trying to learn and apply and challenge your information and figuring out how that is, whether it's, you know, what I do is normally multiple choice questions. And uh, my favorite aspect was, you know, in gross anatomy was if, when you really know something, you should be able to teach it. <laughs> and you'll be shocked when you think you know something and you try to teach it to a friend and you can't put two and two together, you really realize it pretty quickly. And conversely, when you know something, you're able to teach it. And it's a great testament to your knowledge um, and also kind of a, a good way to either make an extra buck if you want to be a tutor or also supplement your application as a TA. I think the C1, do and teach one philosophy really applies overall in med school and, and undergrad as
0: well. So, you know, a lot of the advice that you're offering, I think it's so key because we're all looking for effective ways to learn. And I think that's what it's all about. And you write a lot about actively studying and learning as a medical student uh, to promote long-term retention. So what strategies did you find very, very effective for you as you were trying to accomplish this goal? The short and skinny
1: of it is I tried to stop making very pretty and attractive notes. These days I've seen on Instagram some amazingly curated notes, and they look great, but what was most effective for me was turning my notes into a study product. So not taking notes and then making a study product like uh, note cards or a quiz, but simply taking notes and in one column writing the definition, and on the right-hand column writing the answer so that when you're done with your notes, you can then print them out if you like to type them as I did or if you want to handwrite them, and all you got to do is fold that sheet in half and quiz yourself and actively try to learn. And I think that's the crux of what I've found is helpful for me, is being active with my learning. The other thing I loved in med school was finding the coldest uh, room with a whiteboard in the library and taking my notes and trying to draw that amino acid again again and again and again and again and that pathway and trying to actively regurgitate it again In order to really cement my understanding. So I I think the shortcut that I found that really helped me cut down on some of the excess time of, you know, the stuff that you have to do in order to study was combining my notes and turning those notes into study products as a byproduct of creating them.
0: So I want to ask you, Mark, did you figure a lot of this stuff out before medical school? Or are some of the things that you're describing to us, are those things that you realized after you became a medical student? Because I know a lot of students are wondering whether their current study strategies are going to cut it for medical school. So, you know, what was it like for you? I learned it all in med school <laughs> on the fly. Uh Thank God our med school
1: gives us a quiz after two weeks of, of work because I barely passed that quiz. And then we had some great workshops to really say, you know, like, hey, This is what med school is. you got to figure out how to study. And they gave us some tips. So I didn't figure out any of this in undergrad. This was all really, you know, I think I learned a lot of the regurgitation and whiteboard stuff. But the amount, I don't think I ever had the challenge of the quantity and depth of information that you have to learn in med school. I had four hours of lecture at Monday through Friday, and then two days a week I had anatomy lab, and then on top of that we have something else. So there's about six hours of class or four to six hours of class, five days a week, and then you spend another four hours creating and studying, and then on the weekend you're studying all that stuff all over again to cement your knowledge and then doing it again Monday through Friday, again and again and again. So I figured most of this out uh in med school. If anyone's listening and they're in undergrad and they haven't figured it out, You will, because there's no other option. There's work that needs to be done, and you figure out a way.
0: So you also write about how important it is to seek the input and experience of others, people who've gone through what you're currently going through. But one of the things that you warn your readers about is just to be careful where you're getting this advice. So I was wondering, Mark, can you tell us more about what you mean by that?
1: Sure. I mean, I think it's, it's natural for anyone in any stage of training, whether you're a med student, resident, fellow, I'm sure as a future attending, you know, you're always looking for someone who has done what you're trying to do and, and try to figure out how did you figure this out? What was your strategy? Kind of, you know, the same stuff that we're, we've been talking about. But at the same time, you have to know who you're listening to and who you're taking advice from. I remember I had a great friend who's a brilliant doctor now. And he had a great memory, and he didn't have to study nearly as much as me for whatever reason. So when I asked him, like, how do you understand this stuff so easily? He would go, well, I just, I read it, and now I understand it. And, you know, that that didn't work for me. Um So he just tipped differently. And it's just a matter of trying to make sure that you know who you're talking to and trying to understand that everyone has a different background and you know, the person that you're getting advice from, that's one way to do it. You know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and you just have to make sure that you're getting advice from the right person.
0: So, Mark, I wanted to ask you just your opinion of discussion forums, because, you know, when I went to medical school, Mark, you know, those yeah. didn't really yeah. exist. So we pretty much had to rely on, you know, people ahead of us right you know, Yeah. Call them up, ask them, you know, hey, you know, what do you think about this? But yeah. a lot of students obviously today, you know, have the ability to get information from people who aren't necessarily right in front of them. So, so what do you think about discussion forums and that sort of thing?
1: You know, they're good and bad. I think, uh, you know, I've gone on a student doctor network. I'm in my med school career. And, you know, it's, it's good to get a lot of different perspectives. And, you know, I wouldn't use that as my primary source of information, but they can be useful. If nothing else, it helps you get some subjective information about, you know, what other people are going through. I just wouldn't go too deep into it. And if you could find someone who you know, I mean, even when I was going to med school, I remember reaching out to a family friend who went to Ross and succeeded and just getting some information. So I, I, I think that those online forums still have a place. They probably always will. You know, it's the same format, same, but different. Um, but if, if you can, you know, it might be better to at least get more of your in- base information from an individual who you can trust and really connect with and then. You know, you can always
0: go back to the forums, maybe just stay off of it before test day. <laughs> you know, another thing that I really like about your website and your videos is there's a lot of positive messages that you're sending out. And you you've really written a lot about surrounding yourself with positivity. And so tell us you know, how that helped you and, and why you think that's so important.
1: You know, I think that at the end of the day, something that people might not talk about all that much on especially social media these days is uh, med school sucks a little bit. <laughs> um, It's hard. I missed weddings, birthdays, anniversaries. My parents took my brother and his wife to South Africa, and I couldn't go because I was in the ICU, uh, working in the ICU in residency. And they're sending me pictures of a giraffe, and I'm just like, all right, Sounds good, I've been awake for twenty-eight hours, gonna go take a nap, do it again tomorrow. So, you know, residency is frickin' challenging. It's crazy that the uh you know, we work so much in residency that they that they decided, you know what? Let's cap it at eighty hours per week. You know, that's crazy. Eighty hours is how much you know. So my point being is residency and med school is hard and you're going to make a lot of sacrifices. And that's the name of the game. There's no way around it. And if you can at least surround yourself with people who make it more tolerable and hopefully make it more fun and bring out the best in you. You know, I think uh, Gary V on uh, social media talks about it a lot, that who your friends are and who you surround yourself with, as well as the mindset that you have moving forward and approaching things like studying and, and your career. Uh, can really impact how you maneuver your career. Um, so, so there, you know, I remember throughout my, uh, you know, med school and even residency and fellowship, if there are people who are, you know, not contributing positively to your life, um, you know, try to avoid them. Try to find, try to find your people.
0: Absolutely. I think that's really important wherever you are in your journey is surround yourself with people who are going to bring you up, right, that want to see you succeed. I think at so many points in our medical journey, we we can run into, uh, you know, the person who wants to bring you down. Now, they may not intentionally trying to be, you know, bringing you down, but maybe there's something about kind of their outlook or the type of things that they express to you that, you know, adds stress where, you know, you're already in the stressful situation as it is. So I want to talk a bit about USMLE. We've kind of touched a little bit about it, said the word USMLE, but I want to go into a little bit more depth about it because you've written about the USMLE on your website and specifically the importance of identifying your weaknesses in USMLE studying. So can you give us some examples of how students can do that?
1: You know, I think that the end of the day, there's no shortcuts you need to study and apply that knowledge, especially with USMLE. And the reason that you have to do that is because this test is long. It's eight. The step one, I think, is still seven or eight hours long. It's seven or eight hour-long blocks. And there's 10 ways that you can ask the same question. And what I mean by that is you can ask, what nerve is this? Or you can ask, what nerve supplies this muscle? Or this is the nerve that supplies a muscle that does this action what artery supplies it or you can give the artery and ask what mer- so there's ten different ways that you can ask the same question and the step exams are freaking challenging so at the end of the day you just need to try to attack it in, in any way in any way possible
0: let's talk also about clinical rotations and one great recommendation that you have for students is to hold yourself accountable for the welfare of your patient. Can you tell us what that
1: means? I think uh, at any stage in training, it's easy to kind of not double check the little things or call the family member, call the primary care doc, the little things that you might do if the patient was 100% your responsibility. And I, I think just trying to put yourself in that mindset And trying to be proactive really ends up benefiting, not the patients, of course, but also just makes you a better physician and makes you think, uh, kind of pushes you to learn a little bit more proactively. It always frustrates me when attendings tell you in clinic or, or, you know, in the hospital, like, oh, you don't need to do practice questions. Everything you need to learn is in the patient. It's like, all right, well, you know, does the patient want to know what trinucleotide repeat that there, you know, is in Huntington's, Huntington's disease? Uh, clearly that one annoyed me. Um, but my, my point being is that, uh, you know, I, I think the more you take ownership of your patients, the more you will make sure that you don't miss anything and hopefully develop as a professional in medicine.
0: I'm so glad you use that term, uh, taking ownership of your patients. That's mm-hmm. something that I really encourage my own medical students to do. And, you know, as medical students, you're at a point in your professional career where you're really learning how to do things. But there, there's so much that you can contribute to the team. And one of the best ways to do that is by taking ownership of your patients. You also recommend being assertive during rotation. So how, how would you recommend that students do that?
1: You know, I, it's, it's, it's always a tough balance. And I, I think, uh, just having effective communication and trying to be proactive are the two things that I, I would encourage them to do. You know, everyone loves having good med students. And unfortunately, residents sometimes get a little busy and, you know, forget about you. So sometimes it's a little easier to just be like, Oh, well, you know, I don't know where the med student went. Um, and I think making sure that you talk with your attending and make sure that if they are not taking the effort to give you clear-cut expectations, feedback, uh, and asking what is the best way for you to be a useful part of the team, that you try to find that balance of, you know, respectfully figuring that out.
0: No, that's excellent advice. And I think, you know, you have this amount of time for every rotation that you're doing and there's just so much to learn but you know the best learning comes from you know what you do with your patients so i personally feel that you know the medical teams that students work on they're very interested in having you take part in patient care and and wanting to you to do as much as you'd like to do uh, mm-hmm. of course under supervision so when you demonstrate that you have that initiative and that you are assertive i think that's what really helps maximize those learning opportunities I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, where you are. You know, you, you started at Ross. You've matched into a, you know, university inter- internal medicine program, and you're now a cardiology fellow. I think, Mark, there are many people who would look at that and say, I want to be like Mark when I grow up. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the things that helped you and uh, and others make it to this point? And, and what would you say sets you apart from others who haven't been able to reach their goals? A lot of luck. Um,
1: (laughs) you know, it's funny when you, when you say it like that, that, uh, you know, I, I do look back at, at my stages of medical training and, and think that like I've, I used to imagine like, Oh, I can't wait until I get to the point that I'm in right now. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful and, and, and humble that, you know, there's a whole lot of hard work that gets into it, but there, there is also a, a little bit of luck. Um, that there are a lot of great individuals who don't match into various specialties, uh, residencies or fellowships. And it's not because they're not intelligent and that they wouldn't be fantastic specialists that sometimes it is it is just a, a little bit of luck um, and good fortune. But I, I guess the things that have really helped me the most in my in my career and in my journey to getting to this point is finding mentors and that's easier said than done. Often in medicine, that certain you know med schools or residency programs might have a, a you know a more formal way to help people get mentors, but sometimes it's just who are the attendings that you kind of click with. You know, I have a great mentor who's a gastroenterologist, and and he's a specialist in IBD, but but we both have similar clinical interests uh, in and outside of medicine, and we've been able to. Continue a, a good professional relationship. And there are other people within cardiology who have really helped me develop my career. So I think that that's one of the biggest things that people who I look up to have been great mentors and other, you know, med students who I've envied at various stages in my career were able to have great mentors who were able to advocate on their
0: behalf. Mentorship is so important. I'm so glad that you brought that up. What I want to tell our listeners is that there are some great people out there, people who have been fortunate to have their own mentors that played an important role in helping them get to where they are right now. And those people really do want to give back and enjoy mentoring. And so if you have that person, you know, that's great. Uh, There may be uh, some others that you're hoping to meet, and I would encourage you to keep trying. But if you haven't found a mentor or mentors, please know that they're out there and, and do make that an important part of what you're trying to do because it will enrich everything that you're doing and it can certainly help you through your journey. So Mark, thank you so much for this great information. We've really enjoyed hearing about your journey in medicine and I know that our listeners are really going to benefit from this great advice that you've offered. I wanted to ask you, do you have any final advice for our listeners?
1: Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak on, you know, today. I love the sound of my own voice, so I'm always happy to, to speak with anyone. Um, but I, I think if uh, I could remind everyone in, you know, in medicine, uh, just don't get lost in medicine. I, I think it's easy. And I, I go through stages, um, just like with working out and eating well, that you go through ebbs and troughs. Uh, and in medicine, it's especially in med school and residency where you kind of eat, sleep and breathe medicine. It's easy to get lost in medicine and forget that there's other parts of life and career development and personal development. And I know I've I've also put off personal development for the sake of, of career. And those are some sacrifices you, you have to make. But uh, to try and not forget that you're a person too, and to try to just prioritize your happiness and, and try to figure out how to make sure that you're happy
0: in your career, but, but also in life as well. So those are some wonderful last pieces of advice that I think people really need to wrap their arms around. And Mark, would you share with us your website and your YouTube? Because, you know, I've been sending, you know, my students there and they've gotten so much out of it. So would you mind sharing that with our listeners?
1: Yeah, of course. My, uh, my handle for all of my social media, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram. And I, <laughs> I, um, cringe a little bit, but I recently joined TikTok because it is really fun. And Twitter as well, which I'm just more of a worker on, uh, at kittycatsmd, k-i-t-t-y-k-t-z-m-d. You know, my older brother when I was growing up was cats, so when I started hanging out with him and my, his, his friends, there couldn't be two cats, so I was kittens and kind of stuck. Uh, um, so kittycatsmd from all my social media handles, and then my website is MyKittyCats. uh, mykittycats.com. And, uh, in all those locations, I kind of try to talk about advice on med school and trying to uncover the hidden curriculum in med school. And if anyone has any specific questions that, you know, we didn't go into or anything that I can, uh, potentially be helpful, uh, I'm always reachable. I might take a little bit of time to get back to
0: you, um, but I'm always happy to, happy to help. Thank you so much, Mark, and, uh, wish you all the best in the remainder of your cardiology fellowship. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more information on how to get into medical school, succeed as a medical student, and match successfully, visit our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com, where you can access our blog posts, articles, Q&As with program directors, and much more. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We always love to hear from you, so don't hesitate to write to us with comments or questions. And we would be most grateful if you took the time to share your thoughts about what we're doing by placing a review. Thank you for joining me on the Success in Medicine podcast. Until next time, I'm Dr. Samir Desai.